Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another overcast and empty day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Ian Cameron, owner of Colchester Tires, a full-service garage in Warrington. Ian, hello. Hello there. Thank you very much for coming on the program today. Uh, now, normally, we go directly into the subject of leadership. But before we get there, we must address the ongoing COVID-19 outbreak. How has this affected business? Uh, massively, uh, obviously, um, this time. But we, although garages were classed as a key worker center and could operate in the first wave, um, Simply, the work wasn't there. The business, you know, the, the people just stopped turning up overnight, pretty much. Um, so we kind of were stood around a, an empty garage, basically. So we had to make the decision that we had to, uh, I had to furlough, you know, all the staff, and we just had to close the doors. Um, you know, but it, it's been it's been very very difficult, to be honest, um, at the moment. The uh, if, if if it wasn't for the 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 hand you know the the help from the government with the with the ten grand and 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 mm. the uh, helping to pay the the large wages, I couldn't imagine we'd, we would open the door up again. Luckily, we have we are we are trading again now uh, with the uh, half the staff. But uh, yeah, it's it's a massive impact, and it, it really has just kind of scuppered twenty twenty. You know. Now, do you believe that this is going to have a long term effect on the business? Yeah, it, it has to do. I mean, even though we've managed to reopen again, we've still we've reopened again with with a, a lot of debt, really a lot a lot of suppliers that we we haven't been able to to pay due to being closed for a while. So and obviously we are on holiday payment holidays and things like that, but it still means we're going to open up with with a lot of debt, and we'll we we should be able to we should be able to pay that off eventually, providing uh, our, you know the the people uh, um, that we owe the money to realize that you know can wait a little while for their money obviously they're 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 struggling too but you know i think we we have to kind of spread the payments out across otherwise we won't be able to you know uh, carry on trading basically what do you think could be done to help small businesses like your own i think it's basically it's 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 the um the wholesalers or the, the the larger companies that we are, it's basically just been you know helping us out with like payment plans and not kind of turning around and saying oh we want all our money at once kind of thing. Um, the, like the government have that 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 ten grand the the, the um, was essential and the help that we've been getting is essential. Um, however, you know I. They, they can't just carry on giving handouts, whatever. There isn't a bottomless pit of, of money, obviously. So uh, I think you know, it's, yeah, it's uh, it's just uh, just just companies have been understanding about you know the, the whole situation. We have actually we've stopped dealing with certain companies due to their attitudes through this time. You know, um, rather than rather than saying that we understand that it's difficult this time, um, so you can you know we'll we'll. You can pay us uh, on a, some kind of a payment plan. Some have said no, we want all the money straight away, and mm-hmm. it's just you know impossible. So we've actually we've literally just stopped saying it's the companies that we've been dealing with for years, and you know our biggest our biggest suppliers, and uh, we've just had to just literally stop dealing with them completely. Well, we should move on to the subject of leadership, of course. Um, I always like to start this part of the conversation off by asking the same simple question: What does the word leader mean to you? Oh, probably someone who can who 
understands what they're asking people to do, really. Um, there's a lot of leaders out there that don't understand what they're asking people to do. You know what I mean? I think I think I I, I always think a leader should kind of work their way up from the bottom. They should always treat the flaws in the factory first before they start running the factory. Now uh, let's talk a bit about how you operate the business. What is your personal leadership style? <sighs> I've well, you see, I've always struggled with it a little bit because I'm an engineer. I'm I'm I'm, I'm a mechanic. At, uh, Firstly, first and foremostly, I'm, a, I'm, a, you know, I'm an engineer, but uh, mm-hmm. that is driven enough to be to, to, to want, you know, better really, um, and who's uh, who's wanted, you know, his own business, his own company, and things like that. Um, so leadership is something that I've really had to, I've only really learned in the past few years, whilst um, whilst uh, being the director of this uh, company and, and having people working underneath me, you know. Um, my style is uh, it's quite laid back, if I'm honest. It's uh, it's more of a I you know I I I because I, I've worked for bad leaders and I've worked for good leaders and I kind of want to emulate the good. So I do tend to be more on the side of uh, of, of of being a, a friendly, approachable uh, mm-hmm. leader as opposed to the um, willing with the stick. You know, more carrot than stick, shall we say? Now, of course, people seem to forget that one can learn just as much from a bad leader as they can from a good one. So from some of those bad leaders you've worked for, what was the number one thing you learned not to do? Like uh, it's, 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 it's the expectations of, of, of what people can do. And, and, you know, if you've been, you know, Tracking on, working hard from eight thirty in the morning, you know, doing a really good job, and uh, and then all of a sudden they turn around and say, "Oh, you know, we're going to do more." You know, it, sometimes it, it can't be done, but you know, I think I think praise is 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 key, and a lot of them, probably the worst ones, were the ones that more put you down. You know, would would only focus on the on the bad, no matter how good you did. Right. It would only take a little bit of the bad before they'd, uh, you know, before they'd really kind of. You know, come down. Yeah, you know, the, the positivity and 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 uh, giving people encouragement is uh, probably the main thing. Now, of course, leadership uh, doesn't develop in a vacuum. So let's talk a bit about those role models that you learn positive things from. Uh, Do they have a major impact on the man you've become? I'd say so. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I always like to learn them. Out. You probably learn as much from the bad leaders as you do from the good leaders, um, and the 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 different styles it's, it's almost I've, it's always yeah i've worked for some real tyrants but i did respect them um but then on the other side i've worked for some the gentler um leaders and don't have as much respect because you think you maybe can get away with a little bit more and do this and do that so it, it really is finding that that balance between the two respect is a big key um and trying to trying to trying to gain respect is, is the main thing you know it's, it's much easier uh to do that and uh also i, I, I do believe that uh, an army marches on its stomach so i do like to keep make, make sure everyone's fed and watered all, all the time you know oh absolutely there's a there's a, there's a uh, i can remember i can remember working there out on the race team, it was in the racing job, and uh, you know, the, the the chap I was working with, or four, he uh, we started at 
seven o'clock in the morning and we didn't eat or drink. You know, we just carried on putting this on up to about one o'clock in the afternoon. We hadn't had a single bit to eat or drink. And I was nearly kind of collapsing. There's no, all the energy's out here. There's no kind of, there's Excellent. no, yeah, there's no drive or anything. You know, you're just absolutely done for. As I think, you know, you work for the, again, other chaps, you make sure you, you eat your breakfast, you eat your lunch, you have a tea break, you do this, you do that. And you can maintain yourself all the way through the day, you know. So, um, yeah, I think that's quite key. Well, Ian, unfortunately, our time together is drawing to its close. But before I let you go, what does next 12 months have in store for Colchester Tires? Hopefully, we do have a quite a loyal customer base. You know, they do have a few elderly customers, so hopefully they're going to come back. You know, maybe towards the end of the year, I should imagine. Um, it's going to be a struggle. Twenty twenty is going to be a struggle. There's no doubt about it, and I think it's not going to be until a good year's time before we really start growing and developing again. This was the really year I was focused. This is my third year trading um, through here, so. This year, we really were set up to be flying, but obviously we get a huge kick in the teeth, but hey-ho, there's worse in the the position. But hopefully, if we we can make it through this time and and be stronger for it on the other side. Well, Ian, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the program uh, today, and hopefully we can have you back on when things get back down to some sort of normalcy. Ian, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. See you now. That was Ian Cameron, owner of Colchester Tires. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it, and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex... Uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where... Um, so Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd work with. So you're very fortunate. I think 
you just think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and uh, a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and of course a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. And what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you it can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life but yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years he it was quite clear who was the boss he was quite very very strict probably at a time maybe overly strict but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team 
it is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you. And you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organization, one thing I have learned and I've taken on my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But uh, in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, and Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into it because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot, and it's there, and people, players talk about, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important, to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were a very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but 
overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while and said, oh, dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, look, had a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you too. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Lines, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um... Uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard of somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it, it, uh, um, it did but make then again, laugh, if you laugh If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think. Um, you, you were a young man when... See, this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of the fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, 
I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. No, um, well, it, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to. Uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even, uh, certainly as a team, if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who's just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the, 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they they are not doing so well he's the best example of management I've seen we've seen we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Green was, yeah, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, That's a they, <laughs> The straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the, um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and, and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate 
band, I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we we're successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back to an earlier earlier question for me, the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. The word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mind in this, uh, single mind in this dedication dedication to the job um, thinking about that 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 role that job in leadership all the time it's a huge part of your life but it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.